Solid Rock was written by Edward Mote in 1934. It is based on 1 Corinthians 3.11, which says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The people in Corinth were divided about which teacher they should follow. Paul reminded them that he had planted the seed, and Apollo had watered it, but God made it grow. While he laid the foundation and other teachers built on it, it is the foundation, which is Jesus, that really matters. Without Christ, the teaching is not valid. Father, have we just give you praise and thanksgiving for all the blessings that you supply us with. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you and to lay our heartfelt gifts and gratitude to you for all these blessings, both our salvation, the material blessings, the people around our lives that you brought into it. Lord, may we give glory to you and give thanks for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we are so grateful again to be before you. We have so many blessings today, Lord, especially in this community that was rocked by a tornado. Lord, it's just phenomenal to think of all the damage and how powerful those tornadoes were, and yet not one person was killed. 
We give you praise and thanksgiving for that, God, for your watchful hand over the residents and the people, even the people at the Y that were crowded in there, and yet, Lord, no one was killed, and we give you thanks and praise for that. We pray also, too, for others who are recovering from other disasters in their lives, those who are still trying to get themselves back together from the trauma of the fires that their homes were burned down, and Lord, these families, both the fire and the tornado, Lord, uh, right now are trying to put pieces back together in their lives, some of which will never go back together. And we just pray for them as they work through that. We pray also, too, for our government, Lord, and for what is going on that they're involved with with the world, which seems to be a lot. We pray especially for uh, those who are suffering as the Russians continue to put their attacks on. We just pray, Father, for the people that you will protect them. I pray that uh, Putin will put his head on straight and that he'll stop this aggression. And if not, that you will, figure, that you will find a way that you will take him out. We pray also to Father God for the Russian people also who are displaced and confused and have so many things going on in their country right now and without food and other things, Lord, because of our sanctions. We pray for our legislators and the wisdom for our government to be able to have to deal with all these things, Father. We pray also too, Father God, for our uh, church as we begin to make this process of leaving our denomination. Continue to bless it and maybe a good marriage. I pray also too, Lord, for um, those in our midst who are struggling. Lucille, we think of for Kay. Uh, I pray for Joyce and the struggles she has right now with the great-grandson who's going to be leaving the family to go to his father and all that's involved with that, Lord. We pray also too, Father, um, for uh, those who are recovering from illnesses, from heart surgeries and also backs, Lord. I pray for Hun and her, her moms uh, that uh, she'll be with her as they try to figure out what's going on and bring full and complete healing to her body. We pray also too for those that we know that are struggling with addictions. I pray for Ryan and Jordan and David and also Eric and Ricky and Mitch. Uh, and I pray also, too, for a young man that uh, had a terrible accident the other day and the two young men, the families that uh, they were killed in that accident on their motorcycle. I just pray for those families. I pray also for Samantha, mom, as she battles this cancer in her brain. Lord, be with um, um, uh, the uh, mom family, Lord, as they go through this. Pray also too, Father God, for those who are suffering from sadness and brokenness in their heart of loved ones that have been lost. I just pray, Lord, that you lift their spirits and give them strength. And Father, there's other things on our mind, people that we love, people that we're concerned about. I know Betty had a prayer request this morning for Glenn Colley, who's going through some real bad stuff and has to be flown to Cleveland be operated on in Ohio. I just pray that they can work out all that and that uh, healing will come to his body. And now, Father God, I pray for, our, as we come to you from your word, speak to our hearts where we need to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There's a town in Alabama called Enterprise, Alabama. In an enterprise, one of the strangest phenomenons you'll find is that in the city, in the middle of the city is a memorial to a beautiful, handsome insect. And that stone likeness is of a bow weevil. Back 
in the days in which they had erected it, the community was going through some difficult times with their farm crop. They were raising cotton and the bow weevil was eating it apart. They were losing years of money and the community was really struggling. But then came along a man by the name of George Washington Carver and a group of scientists to develop the product that they could use to take care of this land and not experience the devastating crop failures that they were experiencing. And what they came up with, which is a strong, wonderful thing called peanuts. We had a president who was raised in that area and he was a peanut farmer. And one of the things that we found that this substitute not only had the crop healthy, but what they found is that the raising of peanuts not only brought them healthy crops, but they made more money on the development of having peanuts being grown rather than cotton. And they were thrilled to death. And so they put this monument in this town square of the Bow Weevil. Well, sometimes the Lord brings trials into our lives to upsettle our lives and make us look at our lives to see what we need to do for him. Because sometimes we're growing cotton and he wants us growing peanuts. And sometimes he sends delays and appointments. Sometimes we experience rough times. And one of the great truths of the scripture is, and the scriptures never, never basically beautify things, but it tells it as it is. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture. It tells us the truth. And one of the things, truths that it talks about is that there are going to be defining moments in each one of our lives that God brings that are going to be tough. They're not what we want. And sometimes they're even very sad in our lives. And what happens is they are monumental and changing us for the good and God's glory. When I was 16 years old, I had been through Christianity. I had been in church all my life. I had opportunities to grow and I sang songs and memorized verses. But it was a crisis at 16 that entered into my life that God changed my heart and used it. I had finished playing, practicing baseball and my friend's mother came and she was going to pick us up and take us home. And as we sat in that white Chevy station wagon at 63, I can remember that mother starting to break down in tears. And here she had to share with us, and they went to our church, that her 12-year-old daughter, Lori, was dying of leukemia. There was no chance of her being recovering. And that she had maybe up to six months to live. And here who I was, and I was gliding along in my teenage life, having the worries about all those teenager things, and I was stopped in my tracks. Because I knew about death and heaven. I knew about God and Jesus dying on the cross, but it never was center in my heart. And through watching her go through the experience of blowing up and experiencing the chemo treatments that they tried to heal her with, and then to her death... And I can remember going with my mom and some friends to the funeral. And I remember coming after the funeral, after the pastor spoke of all those words I've heard time and time again in my life. 
I went back to the school and I had a game that day and I got in the locker room 20 minutes before the bell rang. And I got on my knees and asked Christ to change my heart and make me a new person. I knew what to do. Up until that point, I wasn't ready. And God had to use the death of that child to break my heart and open my heart to him and to see how important. Because she knew Jesus and I didn't. I knew about him, a lot about him. I grew up around it. And it was at that point that the commitment to Christ began. James today was written for people who are struggling, who are going through difficult times. The Bible says the person who wrote this is James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, there are four James in the Bible. Now, who was it that wrote this book? Well, there was first James, the son of Zebedee, who was a fisherman. And he was a fisherman, but he also was one of the sons of thunder, had a very bad temper. Him and his brother John, one time where Jesus was rejected, they asked that God would send down fire and brimstone and take that city out. So it wasn't him. It wasn't James, the son of Alphaeus, who was Matthew's brother. He was way quiet. Then there was also James, the father of Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas. But he was more insignificant in the scriptures. But then there's Jesus. Jesus' brother John, or James. And James was the brother of the Lord. And do you remember Jesus, when he was out in his ministry, his family did not believe in him. They tried to call him out and people were saying that he's nuts. And James was one of those who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. But then in the upper room experiences, James came to know Christ as the risen Lord. His life was changed radically and James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. John James was a pillar of the community of the church. And he wanted to give a special message to them, especially because they were being persecuted out in the world. You see here where it says, dispersed abroad. They were like wandering Jews. And what they were, all Christians were pretty much Jews. And they were persecuted for what they believed. They were hated by the Gentiles because they were Jewish. And they also believed in this insurrectionist by the name of Jesus. The Gentiles hated them. The Jews hated them because they were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. So here they were persecuted out and about. And in the Roman Empire, there was over 4 million Jews that were living in that, in that day and age. And what happened was they were beaten by clubs. In fact, James dies in 62 AD when the Pharisees hated James so much they took him up to the top of the temple, threw him off the top of the temple, and then beat him to death when he hit the ground. But you see, James was a deeply spiritual man. And his stature stood out. In Acts chapter 15, we see that as he works through some of the trials that the church is having. In 1 Corinthians 9, where his letter was influential in, in Paul. And we see all the things that James did, but he was also a man of integrity. James also understood what integrity was all about. It was about being who you really are and who you say. And it's interesting that James, the book of James, was sometime, Martin Luther did not want that book put into the Bible because he felt that it was going against Paul's grace and said it was works. 
And Mac Martin Luther called it a book of straw. But James was writing for a different reason. James, being a Jew, loved the law and knew that if you loved God, you'd love his law and you'd act on it. And so James is trying to bring the people to understand that if you say you're born again, if you say you're a believer, then you're going to do what it says. Otherwise, you're not going to. And see, that's who James spoke to. James wrote to the Christians who were being pressured, who were being persecuted, and say, live the gospel. Show your faith is genuine and live out what the word of God says. Paul wrote uh, other things for people to come to know Christ and see the grace. And they were not against each other, but they were working together to talk to two different sets of people. And James spoke to people who were claiming to have all this great faith, but they didn't show it. And we know that Jesus spoke about this in his own stuff when he said to the people who said, but Lord, we did this, we did that. And Jesus says, I never knew you. This is what James wanted to see in his people, that they had the integrity. I mean, how many people do you know that really have integrity? If we look at the TV set and we think of Watergate and we think of Obamagate and we think of Hillarygate and all these gates, where's the integrity? We see that now in, in our day and age with the, the Biden situation. And we wonder, where's the integrity? I was reading a story about a man who just got his new office. He was a lawyer. And he heard somebody come into his office and he quick grabbed the phone and started talking and say, yeah, we can deal on that $3 million deal. And if they don't, then I'm going to press charges on them, blah, blah, blah. And it was a lawyer. And he hung up the phone and the guy, he said, can I help you? And the guy stuck his head around the door. He said, yeah, I'm the phone man to hook up your phone. Well, here he was being a false teacher, false person. And we see that in our world, don't we? And James wants us to show as Christians that we are people who say we have faith and that we live by the God who our faith is in and who we trust and that we want to really live by faith. You know, there's a lot of Christians who like to say they're this and that and the other thing. But then when you find out about their lives, Sandy and I, when we were younger, when we first got married, we thought we needed a station wagon. I bought a station wagon from this wonderful Christian man. He was a board of elders of this large Christian church. And he said, the only was one owner, it was my wife. And then we did a facts check on the thing after we bought it and we put $2,000 in it. We found out that it was, it was in a flood and that he didn't, he didn't own it, that he had just bought it to about a year earlier. And he was lying to us. And you see, this is why the world has a hard time with Christians, because they see hypocrites. And this is what James is trying to speak about, about having integrity in our faith. Because you see, when people don't see integrity, their hearts get broken. And they begin to see and doubt what we profess we do. One of the saddest stories that you'll ever read about in history was in Germany 200 years ago. There was a young Jewish boy who had great admiration for his father. His father left a kosher home. They would pray every night at the dinner table. They would keep the, the law and, and he did all that. And then one day they had to move. And his father was a businessman, and so they had to move the business and everything. And one day, the father came home at the dinner table and says, we're changing our religion to Lutheran. We're going to become Christian Lutherans. 
And his son was stunned. And he said, Dad, why are you doing that? He said, because I need to get business and only the Lutherans will work, come to my store. So he basically sold out his faith. Well, that young man became very angry with his father. He was very disappointed in his father's integrity. Here he held up his father high and that integrity went right out the window. That young man left home and went to a British Museum in Britain and studying. And in doing so, he began to make up his own set of rules. He made up his own theories and values. And one day, he described religion as the opiate of the people. And that man was Karl Marx. Because of his father's lack of integrity, he threw religion out of the window. And said, there's nothing to it. It's all paper. And he began. And today, we are still suffering from that. Do you realize that the CRT movement in the school districts and in the school systems is built on his ideas of Marxism that are changing our world around us today? And all those values that are Christian values that held this country together are being defragmented and pulled apart. And that's why James comes here and speaks to the fragmented world, to people who are scattered abroad and that we're living in a world that's so many different ideas that are changing the religious values of this country that we had that made this wonderful country great. James, as he speaks to four million Jews all scattered throughout the empire and that he has people, scribes, going around taking to the Christian Jews and showing them what to, how to live a Christian life practically in a world that is fully pushing away Christ from their lives. And that's why it's so important. You know, in, in America today, we have great churches here with great facilities. But the thing is, is that if we don't act, as James said, with integrity, with our faith, and truly live who we are, then the world will say, and as they do right now, that we're a bunch of hypocrites and that we are a poor advertisement for Christ. So James wants them to understand as they are pressured and are going through difficulties in this world to stand in their faith. And what does he say? He said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James wants them to know that the way to see through this life and to please God is consider these problems in your life as joy. Opportunities to grow. You know, there, everybody gets bombarded by it. But James is saying, you're going to be bombarded by it too. Jesus said, in our lives, we're going to have tribulation. But he says, consider it joy. And it's interesting in the Greek there, when he wrote that, it's very peculiar. And it, even in our translations, we don't pick it up. But basically, it says, before you even begin with the trials, start with joy. And consider everything that goes on through your life. Have this mindset and heart. That whatever God sends you, you're beginning with the joy of Christ in your life. And that you will see those things with joy because God is using them in your life to build you and to strengthen you. 
David had many afflictions, he says. Job had them. Peter and Paul. Peter said, don't be surprised when you go through different ordeals. But begin with joy. Jesus, others, yourself last. Trusting Christ and knowing that the joy will come if you follow his way. And you live the way Christ would want you to. That's the counting. It's a, it's a term of, of economics. When we count, we're seeing what value that we have. What we have in the bank. An accountant looks at my bank account. And they can tell you what value. Well here, this is what James is saying to us. Look at your bank account of faith. Do you really have that faith? Or are you just kidding the world? Are you kidding yourself? Or do you really take it all for joy, the struggles that you go through, and you don't throw in the towel? That your mindset is set for him. Count it all joy, he says, when your various testings in your life. You don't have to manufacture trials in your life. God is going to allow them to come to you. He's going to even send them to you. And what he wants to do, he wants to show us and reveal to us how strong our faith is. He wants to put on his meter and say, okay, how strong is that faith? Can they feel that? Can they sense it? Or are they kidding themselves? Let's give them this trial and let them see themselves how weak their faith is. That's what God does. You know, I was impressed with a book that was written. One of my professors, his wife wrote a book, Edith Schaefer. And she wrote this book called Tapestry. I don't know if you've ever seen tapestry before. We have an old pillow that we put out every Christmas. And, it, and it's green. And it's got all this beautiful weaving and, and, and putting together of this beautiful uh, collage, if you want to say it, uh, uh, that uh, it shows a varied colored pattern. And it's beautiful for that cover. But one time it came a little loose and I looked behind it. And if you know anything about tapestry and out about that kind of thing, behind it are knots and all kinds of strings all over the place. And that's what happens in our lives. Christ is working on building inside of us this beauty of Christ coming out of our lives. But in the meantime, behind the scenes, we have a lot of these strings and knots that are going on inside of our hearts. And that's why he gives us this and says, you begin with your face with Jesus and you look at these trials and you work through them. And that what God will do is make this beautiful pattern of Jesus in your life if you trust him. And you see, our values then determine our evaluation. Not the evaluation determines how we're going to act. But instead, we're going to act because of what Christ is doing in our life. And that's why we consider it all joy. Because of what he's doing to us and what he's showing us about our lives. And showing us that we need a lot of work. We do. We need to clean up our act. And our faith will always be tested. Why? You're going to go to different dimensions in your faith. As you grow in Christ, God is going to put more and more in your plate so that you see who you are and you're more in need of him. He says that and he says, know this, that all things, all these things, if you're facing it with joy, the joy of Christ in your heart, it will produce what? Endurance. The word there is Holding up under heavy burdens. 
And that you won't see the trials in your life as intruders, but you'll see them as opportunities to mature. And that God is working in you. And that what we need to do is to have that persistence to continue with Christ as we go through these crises in our lives. Because otherwise, we're going to fold. Walter Payton, he was with the Chicago Bears, holds the record for a long time, a rushing record of 16,000 yards, almost 17,000 yards. And every yard that he ran, it was like four-yard runs. That's basically what it was made up of. Nine miles worth of running and getting hit every four yards. But every time he was hit, he got up. And he started to run again. And God does that in our lives. He wants us to look and to see and to grow and continue to develop in maturity. And that means we need to continue to get up and stand and face it with joy of Christ. And trusting in his power so that we can persevere and get the work finished in our life. And notice what he says. He says, perfect results. He's not talking about perfection, that we've just become this perfect angelic being. He's talking about that the work does the stuff to finish us and make us complete in Jesus Christ. Instead of throwing in the towel, giving up, that we face that trial in Jesus Christ and we go at it with joy and work it through. This is what he says. And what we need to do is con concentrate on the benefits. Look at what we do. Notice what he says in the verse 3. That the testing of your faith, it will produce. That's what it's meant for. God wants to produce that in your life. He wants you to be strong and stand and go for what God wants in your life. Not throwing in the towel and giving up. Because he knows the joy of this world is nothing compared to the joy that we get when we persevere in Christ. And the blessing that we get when we die and we hear that words from Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, there are people in this world who constantly search for joy. There's some who believe that they don't need belief. One such man was Voltaire. He thought he didn't need belief and he tried to get rid of Christianity. And yet, at the end of his life... He comes up with these words, I wish I never had been born. There's no joy there, folks. There are people who go for pleasure. Oh, and pleasure will last for a moment. The Bible says that, the passing pleasures, but they pass away. Lord Byron thought that. Then he realized it just goes to the worm. You think of money, Jay Gould. One of the richest men in his day. Over 72 million, which today is not important, but the, in those days when they didn't have inflation, it was huge. He's like the Elon Musk of our generation. And yet, at the end of his life, you know what he said? I am the most miserable man on the earth. Tragic. Because you see, his search for joy was in something else. C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, you know what? We're searching in the wrong places. He says this. Our Lord finds our desires are not strong. 
but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us in Christ. And like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in the slums with infested slum water because they can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a day at the beach, the rich and sandy beaches. We are just too easily pleased. You see what he's saying? He says, people think they're hedonist and they're going after these great things. And it's not satisfying because it's never meant to satisfy them. It will give them a little satisfaction. But it will not satisfy forever. And what we're doing is we're giving it all up to those light little satisfactions when we really don't, aren't real good hedonists. If we were really good hedonists and wanted the best and the greatest and the most fun, we'd go after Christ's joy. But people are missing that. And you see, that's what James says. James says, don't settle for second best. Settle for the glory that God has for you, having the joy as you go through these trials and that God builds you into this complete and person who God has store for you and that Christ is coming out of you and that you're lacking in nothing. And he says the pattern about this is prayer. You know, James was called by Eusebius, who was a historian of his day. He called him camel, camel knees because he was a prayer. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And James was often looked up to even by Paul and Peter and those they were sought after for his wisdom. It was because he understood. He says, this is how you learn how to smile and have joy in the midst of your persecution and trials in your life. Look at he says, but if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought to not be expect that the will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And what James is saying to us, he says, people of integrity, folks. People, you trust in Christ. You shouldn't be like a way, well, I trust him and I don't trust him. It should be consistently having faith. And trusting in him. Even not being tossed by the wind of circumstances and situations. But that we should trust him all the way. And that we seek God on our knees to understand the things that are going on in our lives. And why he's doing this or allowing this circumstance in our life. Because he's trying to grow us. And once you get into that focus in your head and in your heart towards God you finally discover the joy of life. You understand what God wants you to learn from these situations. I was listening to a guy who had a secretary at the church, and she was going through some real tough times. Her husband had gone blind, and she was caring for him and keeping this job. And he had been taken from the hospital because he had had a stroke. But also she had had a stroke. And she was trying to figure out how she was going to deal with all this. 
And one day she made it home from church to the church after she got out of the hospital. And the pastor saw her and he was so delighted to see her. And he asked her, he said, are you okay? I've been praying for you. And she said, well, what have you been praying for me? He said, well, I've been asking the Lord to help you and give you strength and healing. She said, oh, I appreciate that. But would you add to your prayer list one more thing? Pray that I have the wisdom not to waste this opportunity to grow. And that I learn from it from God. And that I do deal with it. She knew the meaning of what verse 5 is talking about. To know God's wisdom, why he's doing the things he's doing to us and show us. And he'll show you. It says he'll do it generously. And he'll give it to you without reproach. And that you don't have to be tossed to and fro. One minute I trust God, the next minute I don't. Well, it depends on the circumstances. That you are are on the rock that we just sang about. That you're standing on the rock, Jesus Christ, and you're going through those crises and you're seeing what he's trying to do in you and the people around you. Not wimpy like a wave being tossed around. That's one of the biggest temptations that we have when we're going through crisis. To be tossed around rather than being on the rock. And that we understand the force of God's love is to bring you about to the greatest that you can be in your life. And that we find ourselves. It's not like, uh, it was funny, I was reading, uh, 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 what's his name, Uh, John Bunyan. And he talks about Mr. Going Both Ways. There are people who like that. When things are going good, they're talking about God. But when things are bad, they forget about God. Uh, James says, that doesn't work here, folks. You got the joy and you're standing on the rock and you're looking for his wisdom to see why he's doing what he's doing in your life, why he's putting you through this crisis in your life. And that if you lack wisdom, ask him and he'll show you. And you got to pray it in faith that you really want to know and that you don't want to be double minded about this. It's like the student who wanted to take the commitment, the class on total commitment, but he wanted to audit it. That don't work. If you're going to be totally committed, you've got to be totally committed. And God gives it generously. And that you understand, folks. There are people who say to me, Dave, why? Does God put Christians to such tests and some other people are doing so good? In fact, David asked that in the Psalms. He said, God, why are you picking on me and everybody else's? Doing fine in their lives. And C.S. Lewis said it real well. He said, why do the righteous suffer? Why not? Because they're the ones who can handle it. Because they have Christ. And that's what we're about, folks. We're not afraid. And what we find here is that James then gives us an example. He gives us two examples. But the brother of humble circumstances into glory in his high position, and the rich man is glory into his humiliation. Because like the flower grass is passed away, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now here he has two men. One who's broke, doesn't have much, but he's trusting totally on God. And because of that, he has the high position because God has taken care of him through his lack of means. And then we have the other guy with a lot. But God takes it away from him. And he comes to the realize that the flower passes away, that it's scorched by the wind. And in the midst of it, all of it fades. And all he has is himself before God. That's when he says, but blessed is the man, no matter what your position is, no matter how good or bad you've had it, that you persevere under the trials. For once you've been approved, Notice what happens. We receive the crown of life. And God promises those who love him. That's what we have. And we can enjoy those. But we need to trust him no matter what. You see, the result is trusting no matter where your position in life is. That we're promised by God true happiness and joy. And that we are promised the crown of life. Forever and ever. I wonder what the people in Augusta and the Endover were thinking this Friday night. And when they went back to their homes in the light on Saturday morning. And as they looked at everything in their life that was material was totally taken from them. What did they think at that point? When it was all taken away. And they were challenged because their world was turned upside down, literally. But are they still thankful for the rock who saved them? Didn't allow any to die in that and that they're walking around today. See, it's critical how we look upon those trials in our lives and what we allow them to do to us or what we allow God to do in our hearts to change us, to make us new, and make us better. Even though we have this catastrophic event happens in our lives. Back in 1967, a 17-year-old girl on the Chesapeake Bay in, in Maryland jumped in the water and she hit her head because she didn't realize that the water was so shallow. Not only did she hit her head, but she broke her back and spine, severed, and she became a quadriplegic. Up until that point, life was great. She was swimming, boating. Her dad had been an Olympian, uh, and, and, and she was trying to follow in her father's footsteps. They had horses and she just, life was wonderful. And then that one jump and her life was changed radically. She became a quadriplegic. And in the time that she was in rehabilitation, even though she had learned all the great things about Christian faith, now she had to apply it. 
and it was tough. Because she went through all the signs that people do when they have a tragic event happen in their lives. And she went through it. Depression. Anger at herself that she actually dove into those waters and caused this to happen to her. Suicidal thoughts of maybe wanting to take her life because she didn't want to live this way. Doubts about God. Why would he allow me to do this? Doesn't he love me? All those. And then she wrote a book. While she was doing occupational therapy and working on it, she began this book. And it lays out her spiritual journey of looking at the crisis in her life of quad, being a para, quadriplegic and looking at it from the face of counted all joy. And Joni Erickson Tata wrote this book called Joni. On international, it was on the market, it was first all over the world of a person who honestly took her faith and worked through the crisis of being a quadriplegic in her life. And all the thoughts that go through your mind and how God lifted her up and how God gave her the strength to not only was she able in her wheelchair write those books, paint with her mouth, have a show that was syndicated all throughout the world on people who are suffering, served on the President's Council for Quadriplegic and for people who are disabled, who got married to her high school teacher. He became a sweetheart after this was all through. And now she's 74 years old, still serving the Lord with that same joy in her heart. And not giving in. But she counted it all joy. As God developed in her Christ. To be able to minister to others. For his Savior and saving grace. Let's pray together. Lord we want to thank you today. For the marvelous passage that James has written to a people who are struggling. And going through difficult times. That even in the struggle, Lord, we can see your face and you can mature us and bring it out of us. That we can walk faithfully with you, God. And that you can take the tragedies in our life and turn them into opportunities if we have faith in you. Lord, help us. Help us to trust you and count it all joy. Help us to have a living faith that's not afraid to ask the question. And that you give us the wisdom to see why we're going through the difficulties we are. And that we can grow from them and learn. And that we can develop the maturity and the perseverance and the, the strength. And that, Lord, that we can take those ugly situations in our life. And be a witness to others of the opportunity they are for us to grow in you. Thank you, Christ, for being here this morning with us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our communion worship. As we prepare, we hear these words. Beloved in the Lord, 
We come to the Holy Supper for our Lord and Savior, and it is fitting for us to consider what end the Lord gave us this. He said, this do in remembrance of me. We are therefore to remember the Lord Jesus according to the promises of the Old Testament, which was sent of the Father, and he assumed our flesh and blood, and that he bore the wrath of God under which we should have perished everlastingly. And he fulfilled for us all the obedience to the divine law, even the bitter and shameful death on the cross. And he took upon himself all that due to our sin. But because of his love, he humbled himself and took that death, that bitter and shameful one, even to the voice where he cried, My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? So that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. And finally, that he condemned with the shedding of his blood the end, new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation where it said, it is finished. This body has been broken for you. And this cup is the New Testament in my blood, Jesus said. We are therefore to believe these promises which Jesus Christ, who is the truth, has himself given to us. It is his will that we are partakers of the body and blood and share in all of its benefits so that may dwell in us and we in him. We may not doubt that he will perform in our hearts and in our lives all the outward signs signifying that he who is the true heavenly bread will nourish us and strengthen us unto eternal life. For in the supper we share in the infinite goodness of our Savior and are made partakers of all his blessings of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking on that brokenness for us. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. In the same manner also, Jesus took the cup when he had supped it, he said, this blood is a new covenant in my life. Do this in remembrance of me.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all of our sins. Lord God, how incredible this is. That even though as sinners we come before you and that you promise because of your grace that you took and washed away all of our sins. You've adopted us into your family and we have a home forever with you. Jesus, we thank you for that. We can trust you for that. And we pray that, Lord, we can trust you also in the things of life and the trials and the troubles that we have, that we can honor you and trust you through them. And it's in your precious name we pray that. Amen. Please join with me and as we receive the benediction. And also that we sing our closing song. Please rise. And now God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Shine in your hearts with the glory of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Seek.